I'm seeing the devastation. I'm seeing the loss of life. It is, it is the most, it's the heaviest thing I've ever felt in my life. Israelis are souls, Palestinians are souls, Arabs are souls. There's a real heaven, there's a real hell. Everybody needs the Holy Ghost. And my prayer has been, God, somehow through this suffering, let them turn to their Messiah, let them turn to their real Messiah. God has always used Israel as an alarm clock, a spiritual alarm clock for the rest of the world to pay attention to, to know what time it is spiritually. But we're gonna talk about that, and I I feel like to talk about that, we need to go back in history. But I wanna get into now is to show you the significance of it happening right now at this moment. Right now at this moment. So, So several very important key prophetic insights. Number one, Abraham... 1948 BC. The nation of Israel's founding, May 1948 AD. When Israel was founded as a nation, they did not they did not make their statehood in a time of peace. It was a time of absolute war. The British were pulling out the Arabs that were in that region wanted it. Want, Jerusalem has been the battle of the nations from the beginning. This spot has been the battle of the nations. What is it about Israel? What, it is, what is it about Jerusalem? It's, it's just kind of a normal old city. There's no major anything there. There's no, it's just, it's just desert. It's, what is it about Jerusalem? I'll tell you what it is about Jerusalem. God's name is there. The son of God. The son of God walked the streets there. His name was applied there. His blood was spilled there for the, for the sins of humanity. And when you look even further back, when you study the Garden of Eden, the Bible says it was between the Nile River and the Euphrates River. And, and in the east of the garden, God put cherubims. I used to think that the, I know I'm bouncing all over. I'm trying to pull this stuff together, but, but I used to think that when Adam and Eve sinned and they were kicked out of the garden, that the Bible says that God put a flaming sword that turned every way guarding the tree of life. Now you have to remember the tree of life was next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was in the middle of the garden. But then it says he placed cherubims in the east of the garden. So you have the the angel, the flaming sword in the middle of the garden, the cherubims in the east of the garden. If you go just a little east of the middle between the Nile River and the Euphrates River, you're going to hit Jerusalem. Jerusalem has always been the place where the Ark of the Covenant was meant to dwell. Why? Before the Ark of the Covenant in the flesh was ever created, the glory of God that lives, that dwells in between the cherubims was already there. God made his seat there in the east part of the Garden of Eden. And it wasn't Adam's garden. The Bible says it was the garden of God. Ezekiel prophesied to Lucifer, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. It's not the garden of Adam, it's the garden of God. It's not Adam inviting the presence of God in his garden. It's God inviting the presence of Adam into his garden. And the glory of God resided there that Adam had access to freely because there was no sin. 
and, and he had access to the presence of God from that glory of God. So that spot is where God made his seat on earth. The heavens are his throne. The earth is his footstool. And the specific spot that the king of glory is gonna sit and judge the nations in the thousand year reign is Jerusalem. It's always been the spot where the glory of God resides. And so the nations of the earth have fought for that spot for millennia, trying to access that spot. Right now on the Temple Mount, you have the, 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 the Temple Mount, you have the mosque, the Dome of the Rock, the Al-Asak Mosque, and you have the remnant of the Temple of Jerusalem, the sons of Ishmael battling it out with the sons of Isaac over who owns this spot. Who does it belong to? And so, and, and it's interesting, in that temple, when Jesus died and when he said, it is finished, the Bible says the veil of the temple was rent in twain. What did it reveal? It revealed the holy place of God, the holiest of holies. That, temp, that, that glory of God that was locked into that spot was now released into all humanity. And Paul said, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? That glory no longer resides in a spot it resides inside of the temple, the tabernacle that God has made, our bodies when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, baptized in Jesus' name. But still in the flesh, that spot has tremendous significance. In the future kingdom of God on earth, that spot has tremendous significance. And so they're fighting over it. And so, Arabs against Jews, the sons of Ishmael against the sons of Isaac. They're fighting over that spot. Now, 1948, they became a nation. Israel became a nation. And, and it was in the midst of war. War continued on and on. Uh, the Arab nations rising up. You can study Israeli history. For the past 75 years, it's been going on. There's been several major conflicts. The 67 war, uh, the six-day war, where Israel preemptively struck the Egyptian Air Force, demolished the Egyptian Air Force in a matter of hours. And the, the war lasted only six days. Up until that point, even though they had Israel and, and, and became a nation, they still did not have old Jerusalem as part of the nation of Israel. And they took it in 1967. You, you can look up these documentaries of this, of these Jewish people weeping at the wall and, and, and thanking God that they finally have Jerusalem again. This is all a fulfillment of prophecy that God would bring them from the remnant of the nations back to their homeland. The next war that came up, the major conflict was the Yom Kippur War in 1973, I believe. And this was when Egypt, out of humiliation from the last war, now did a preemptive strike against Israel. And Israel, Moshe Dayan, which was the prime minister at that time, they knew of the strike, but they were advised by the nations and especially America, do not strike preemptively because you will not have international support if you strike preemptively again. They made the world so mad when they preemptively struck the Egyptian Air Force in 1967, even though they were getting ready to, to attack. And, and this time in 1973, they said, do not strike. You will not have international support. And so they waited and at great cost and loss of life, they waited for their enemies to strike first. And now, again, and there's been major conflicts since then, specifically uh, in, since 2004 or five, when Israel finally relinquished control of Gaza and has done many things to help Gaza, including sending them money, supplies, 
infrastructure so they could do whatever they want in that strip and have whatever kind of nation they want. And of course, they elected Hamas. I believe it was in 2007. And since that time, Israel has been under constant terrorist threat and culminating in what we see at this very moment right now with Hamas and terrorists and many other nations fighting against Israel. How long have I been going? 38 minutes, sweet mercy. All right, I'm going to try to wrap this up. We might have to break this into multiple parts. I'm not sure, but so that's what's happening now. Now, Israel became a nation in 1948. I want to show you Matthew 24, 32. Again, remember, Israel is the alarm clock of the world, the spiritual alarm clock of the world. Matthew 24, 32. Jesus is is saying, now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation, this generation is the key phrase here, this generation generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So he's given him a parable, the fig tree, telling us to look at the fig tree. When the branch is tender, it puts forth leaves. You know, you know what season is coming. Summer is coming when you see the fig tree begin to bloom. By the blooming of the fig tree, you can determine the season, Jesus is saying. Likewise, he's using a physical metaphor to explain a spiritual phenomenon. Likewise, when you shall see all these things, read Matthew 24, for these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass. So, so Israel is the fig tree. You can, you can do the research. Hosea called Israel the, the, the poison fig tree. Uh, he compared the backslidden Israel to a fig tree. Jesus compares Israel to a fruitless fig tree in the parable when he says he went to the fig tree seeking fruit, finding none. He decided to, to take it out of its spot because it it filled, it cumbereth the ground, King James Version said. And it was, a, it was a conversation between the judge and the mediator. The judge is saying, rip it up. And the mediator said, no, let's dung it. Let's fertilize it and see if it brings fruit. And, and, and he said, these three years I come seeking fruit. How long was the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth? It was three years. He came seeking fruit in Israel, finding none. So Israel is the fig tree. When you see the fig tree bloom, He said, know that it is near even at the doors, the coming of the kingdom of God on earth. It's near even at the doors. Then he said, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, he's not talking about the generation that existed at the moment he was speaking. The people that he's talking to that are watching him, that are listening to him, Peter's dead, James is dead, Paul is dead. All these people that were alive at this time are gone. What generation is he talking about? He's talking about the generation that is alive at the time that the fig tree blooms. The generation that is alive during the blooming of the fig tree, during the blooming of the nation of Israel, 1948, and specifically May 1948. So this generation, then a, a, a scholar of scripture would say, okay, how long is a generation? So let's go to where Moses gave us the definition of a generation. 
Psalms 90 and 10. The days of our years are three score and 10. That's 60 plus 10, which is 70. And if by reason of strength, they be four score years. So, so basically from 70 to 80 years is the lifespan of a generation. That's what Moses is telling us. The days of our years, not just those years, our years, human, the human race, God is going to reduce its lifespan to between 70 and 80 years. So the question is, how long has it been since the blooming of the fig, fig tree, May 1948, when Israel became a nation? Folks, it has been 75 years since the blooming of the fig tree. And Jesus said, my Lord have mercy. This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. We are only less than five years away from the maximum time allotted of a generation. Only five, less than five years away from the maximum amount of time Now, that's just one indication of what time it is. I want you to put this into perspective. So most most scholars agree that AD 1 was not the year Jesus was born. Most scholars agree that it was between 6 and 4 BC. Between 6 and 4 BC. So let's say 5. 5 is between 6 and 4 BC. Jesus lived for 33 years before he was crucified and then the church was born 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, 33 years. Subtract, so five BC, everything's going backwards, right? You're you're counting backwards from the BC to the AD and then you start counting forwards. Subtract five from 33, you get 28, right? 33 minus five, yeah, 28. 28, so Jesus according to history, would have died approximately 28 AD. The church would have been born in 28 AD. 2,000 years before that, roughly, Abraham was born. 2,000 years after that, exactly, well, we can't say exactly because they estimate between six and four, but let's just say roughly is 2028. Every 2000 years, a gigantic global shift has occurred in reference to God, his kingdom on earth. If you go 2000 years back from Abraham, that's the creation of Adam. You have the creation of the world, Adam, birth of Jesus, nation of Israel, and the end. And very specifically, folks, 2028 would be exactly 2,000 years from 2028. The Bible talks about, and, and this has been used many ways, and, and, and this, is, this is open to interpretation, but I'm, it just is too much, it's too much that, that Jesus dies, the church is born 2,000 years later. We are, we are literally here less than five years away. And so 
A day is with the Lord. This is where I was going. A day is with the Lord is a thousand years. Jesus said, two days I, I will be perfected. I'm getting in all kinds of stuff. And my notes are not here. I'm going to just, I got I to gotta put this here. I might not be able to pull up the scripture for it, but mm, here we go. Here we go. Luke 13, 32. I'll start with 31. The same day there came a certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, get thee out and depart hence for Herod will kill thee. You know, they're threatening Jesus. Jesus ain't going to die until he's ready to die and give himself. Nobody's going to take his life from him. He's going to lay it down. He's so bold. He says in Luke 13, 32. Are you glad I didn't cough in the mic, brother Joe? I'm I'm learning. He said unto them, go ye and tell that fox, behold, I cast out devils and do cures today and tomorrow and the third day I shall be perfected. Now, he said, nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. So you have three days, right? Three days, two of the days, He's working three of the days he's walking two of the days he's working. And then the third, he shall be perfected. Okay. This is a reference to the church age. A day is with the Lord is as a thousand years. He's going to work for two days. He's going to cast out devils for two days. He's going to do cures for two days. He's still doing it. He's not walking on the earth right now physically. He's walking through me. He's walking through you. If you've received the Holy Ghost, Jesus is inside of you. He said, behold, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. He said, I cast out devils and do cures. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So for 2000 years, he's going to be casting out devils and doing, doing cures. But the third day, there's a kingdom coming. There's a perfection coming, the kingdom of God on earth. We are literally at the 3000 beginning of the third millennium of the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. And it's not going to look like the first two years. We're still going to be walking, but we're not going to be like it was the first, we're gonna be perfected. We're gonna have a new body in the third day. We're gonna have a new kingdom in the third day. It's all in the spirit now, but it's gonna be in the flesh then. And so what's happening? 2028, folks, is the limit. And, And you can pray about this and interpret this however you want. Just put everything you're seeing in perspective. Put COVID 2020 in perspective, absolute global control. Put everything you're seeing in the Middle East into perspective. Jesus is trying to wake this world up right now and say, when you see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. We're there. We are right there. So what's, what's going to happen? Why is this different? I'll tell you why this is different, in my opinion, than anything that's happened to Israel before. Number one, it's the greatest loss of life since the Holocaust. Number two, the idea, the lie actually, that there could ever be a two-state solution has vanished. It's been popped. It has evaporated like a hot air balloon. Do hot air balloons evaporate? I don't think they do. They, they do. It's, it's evaporated. It's gone. And, and the tension, you can feel it. That tension that's been building for 75 years between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac, all of a sudden, it's just like released. 
And now Israel's going to do what Israel feels like it has to do. <clears throat> and the Arab world is doing what the Arab world feels like it has to do. And it's, it's just in the Bible. It's, it's in prophecy. And it just happens to be happening at the end of that generation that Jesus prophesied, this generation shall not pass. It just has, happens to be happening at the end of that 2000, that two-day mark that Jesus said, and the third day I shall be perfected. What's going to happen? The rapture of the church is about to happen. You had better get ready. Jesus is coming for his church. He's coming for his church. And if you say that to any other people besides Americans, they get excited. If you say that to the 20 million oneness believers in China, they're saying even so come quickly because they're dealing with oppression and repression and, and horrific persecution. You say that to the saints in North Korea, they're saying even so come quickly. You say that to the saints in the Middle East, they're saying even so come quickly. You say that to John living on the Isle of Patmos who's wasting away dealing with, with a broken body from the persecution of Rome. He's saying even so come quickly. You say that to Americans, it's an inconvenience because we like our life. We like our money. We like our Starbucks. It's going to interrupt our Starbucks run. It's going to interrupt our retirement plans. It's going to interrupt our house building and our land purchases. But whether we like it or not, folks, Jesus is about to come back for his church. I want to talk about, about what's about to happen. What's about to happen. So Daniel 7, we're going to go back to Daniel and look at this through the prophetic context of the emergence of the Antichrist. Daniel 7 and 7. I encourage you to get online and, and find the end time series that we did. Um, it's in a, is that in a playlist on YouTube? You can look up our, our, our channel on YouTube and find that end time series. I go through this extensively with lots and lots more talking, but I'm trying to fit all this into uh, uh, this session. Daniel 7 and 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible. So this is beast number four. Four kingdoms is referenced here. Dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. I consider the horns, verse eight. And behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of, a, of man and a mouth speaking great things. So this is the Antichrist. And he's coming from the 10 horns. And one of those horns is going to take authority or dominate three of those horns. So this, is, this, this particular vision of Daniel is the character of the kingdoms that would arise. The first vision of Daniel that mimicked the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar was of this, the, the, the statue, the head of gold, arms of silver, thighs and belly of brass, legs of iron, toes of iron mixed with clay. So that was the political structure of the kingdoms and the chronology of the kingdoms. This is the spiritual character of the kingdoms. And so you have this fourth beast, the 10 horns coincide with the 10 toes. This is the kingdom that will be struck by the mountain. And you got to just do a whole study of Daniel. This is going to be struck by the rock hewn out of the mountain. The kingdom that will exist on earth in dominance 
when the kingdom of Christ is hewn out of the mountain, the millennial reign is the ten-toed kingdom, the European kingdom that the Romans set up and every bit of the residue of that kingdom and every bit of the influence of that kingdom. We're talking Western Europe. We're talking Europe. We're talking America. America is part of that kingdom coming out of the Roman Empire, which is Britain, France, Spain. All of these are part of the ten-toed kingdom. And the kingdom was iron mixed with clay. That's, that's the, the spirit of Rome mixing with pag- people that do not understand the spirit of Rome, but yet having dominion over them. And so this was the Roman ideology. We go, we, we bring in all kinds of stuff, but we're going to have control. So this kingdom will exist. And then Daniel tells us the nature of this. It's horns. It was a beast. On this beast, there were 10 horns. One of the horns took out three of those kingdoms. It's going to replace three of those kingdoms. And that horn begins, it had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. He begins to talk, okay? And verse nine, the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did, were the, and the ancient of days did sit. So, so we have immediately after the rising of that horn, the ancient of days comes and takes power over it. Okay, so, but I want to show you that, that king. Now let's go to the next king, Daniel 11 and 40. So, so first of all, if we have the 10-horned kingdom, which coincides with the 10-toed kingdom, we're talking about the West. We're talking about Europe and West from Europe, everything that came out of Europe. Then Daniel 11 and 40, at that time of the end, everybody say the end, shall the king of the south push at him, talking about the Antichrist. So the idea that the Antichrist will be unopposed is incorrect. He will be opposed. Push at him and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. You got the king of the south and the king of the north coming against the west with chariots, horsemen, many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Watch this in verse 43 of Daniel 11. But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. So it's not talking about the ancient Egypt. It's talking about what Egypt represents at the time of the end. Same with Palestine and Philistia, what it represents at the time of the end. It represents Hamas at the time of the end. This represents Egypt, represents the Arab League of Nations. Cairo is the Arab League of Nations. The Libyans and Ethiopians shall be at his steps. So you have the king of the west coming from the ten-toed kingdom, the ten-horned kingdom, the king of the north, the king of the south. Watch this. <clears throat> Revelation 16, 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Kings of the west, kings of the north, king of, king of the west, king of the north, king of the south, kings of the east. You have what's called the compass kingdoms, north, south, east, west. So in a nutshell, what's about to happen, a prophetic view, a prophetic perspective of the war in Israel, what's about to happen, 75 years is going to culminate in the appearance of Antichrist coming out of the West. He will be a Western, 
He's going to be a little horn. He's going to be an unsuspected. He's not going to have, just like Hitler was a little horn and Stalin was, a, they came from nothing, but he's going to rise rapidly. And he is going to establish the Jewish people as the sole owners of Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount. And, and I don't have time to prove all this to you. I'm going to let you study it. Maybe we'll do a session on this, but he is going to establish Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, including the Temple Mount, and going to reestablish the sacrifices. They are going to kick out the Arabs. When they kick out the Arabs, it's going to make the king of the south angry at the king of the west, which is the Antichrist. It's going to make the king of the north angry at the Antichrist. It's going to make the kings of the east angry at the Antichrist. He's going to have to fight all of these. Now, here's the connection of these kings. The king of the south is Egypt. It's the Arab League of Nations. We can understand how he would oppose Israel having their temple in Jerusalem. Why would the kings of the east and the kings of the north oppose Israel having their temple in Jerusalem? Well, we're hearing now, I'm sure you've seen this and heard this in the news, that Iran is actually the ones fighting against Israel through Hezbollah, through Hamas. They are the ones fighting. Iran is ancient Persia. Iran is connected to Russia. Russia likes Iran because Iran supplies Russia with oil. Iran hates Saudi Arabia and Russia doesn't like Saudi Arabia either because Saudi Arabia supplies the West with oil. So when Israel, which it's probably going to do, turns its attention to the actual perpetrator of these atrocities, Iran, they are going to infuriate the king of the north. The Bible says that north of Jerusalem in the north quarters, this means the farthest reaches of the north. When you go directly north of Jerusalem, and you got to watch that series because we have maps and you can see this. When you go directly north of Jerusalem and just follow it north, north, north until you get to the last major stronghold of humanity, it's called Moscow. Russia is the kingdom of the north. Who is linked with Russia? Kings of the east. There's more than one king, but one of the kings we know is China. Another king is Japan, and that's a whole other lesson. But China and Russia are together. You start fighting against Russia, you're going to fight against China. That's what's happening right now. Russia and China are helping each other against Ukraine. And so you have the king of the north, Russia, the kings of the east, the kings of the south, Arabs. They are going to come against Israel. And the king of the west that is supporting Israel. But the Bible says God's going to give the king of the west power over them. And for three and a half years, he's going to let Israel worship God in Old Testament sacrifice in that temple. After three and a half years, He's going to demand he himself be worshiped as God in that temple. And the eyes of the Jews will be opened to see this is not our Messiah. And the worst suffering the world has ever seen will be unleashed on earth for three and a half years before the second coming of Jesus Christ with 10,000s of his saints. What I believe and what I see in scripture is that the church is about to be raptured and the Antichrist is about to appear and what Israel's fighting right now, this war that has just begun, they are fighting over Jerusalem. They are fighting over who owns this land and who's allowed to do what on this land. The Antichrist will come out of a 
obscure place, a little horn will rise up. He's going to have to take down three kingdoms that maybe oppose Israel. There's some, there's some kingdoms in this ten-tone kingdoms that don't like Israel. He's going to take them down because he is going to be the savior of Israel at first and the savior of, of the world at first. But the church is going to be raptured. And seven years later, we're going to come back with Jesus Christ and establish the millennial reign. And I believe 25 years into that 80-year generation, almost into that, at the end of that second day of 2,000 years, Exactly 2,000 years after the birth of the church, we are seeing prophecy fulfilled right before our eyes. This is not a time to get carnal. This is not a time to skip prayer meetings. This is not a time to miss church. There's so much heaviness, right, involved with this. You can feel heaviness and excitement at the same time. Nobody's gonna get excited over the death of humanity if you're a normal human. But there's an excitement in the people of God that screams out, we are about to leave This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. America's not our treasure. Money's not our treasure. Our cars and our houses are not our treasure. Our treasures are laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue. And Jesus said, when you see these things, last verse, Luke 21 and 28, when you see these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. I know the news is hard to get your head away from. I know that what's on this earth looking down is hard to turn your attention from, but saints of God, look up, lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing nigh. He's about to come back. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church be ready. Let the world turn to Jesus. Let billions be saved before the great coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. It's our prayer that you are blessed in a mighty way. We're here to testify that the Christian life is the best life you can possibly live. Living for Jesus is the most exciting life you can possibly live. Pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for revival in the Middle East, that they return to their real Savior, Jesus Christ. God's will is going to be accomplished, and we get to see it unfold before our eyes. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name.